Welcome, welcome everybody to Drive to Win, presented by the Win Las Vegas and brought to you by Mobile One for the love of driving. I'm Justin Bell, your host. Well, it was the Japanese Grand Prix last weekend and it did not disappoint. It's before I get to the part where I tell you that a certain guy called Max absolutely dominated every session of the weekend. I really am ha- very excited to tell you about our guest this week. Uh, I caught up with Valtteri Bottas, the Alfa Romeo driver, a top Formula One driver, but we were both on the road. It was I was in the East Coast and he was in Japan already, so we had to do it remotely, and I hope you enjoy the interview. It was a great insight into his mind, certainly, and he was very chilled and relaxed, but super excited, wanted to share that with you right off the top. But the Japanese Grand Prix, I mean, it didn't fail to disappoint. It was quite extraordinary. It is one of the fastest tracks in the world and all the social media leading up to all the driver interviews, you could just tell coming even off the back of Singapore, which was such a a tight, well, fast, but very demanding street circuit. They were looking forward to the liberation of being at Suzuka. It's been one of the top tracks, I mean, for literally, I don't know, Three, three decades, really. And it's a place where everybody wants to go because it allows you to push a Formula One car to the extremes. And the fans love it too. I mean, over 222,000 people gathered on over the weekend to go there. And Japanese fans are something special. I raced in Japan myself in the mid-90s. And their level of very polite enthusiasm is quite outrageous. Uh, even when Yuki Tsunoda would come by, you'd, they'd all do a little round of applause as he went by and it would get louder as he did better, but still so reserved compared to the chaos of the Dutch fans. But make no mistake about it, the Japanese fans, their intensity for their favorite drivers is something precious and everybody responds well to it. And don't forget a lot of Formula One drivers pre- Formula One career did actually race in Japan as well in other categories. So it's definitely a, a homecoming of sorts for so many of the drivers. But it's also been the scene for some of the best battles that we've seen between the titans of our sport. And no one can forget that epic moment with, in 1989 with Pros versus Senna when they both took, uh, you know, basically took each other out into the chicane. And that was a that was a clash of titans that had repercussions for years. It set off this, this rivalry that really was incredible for us as race fans. But I don't know what it was like for them. But one day I'd love to, to talk to Prost. He's talked about it in so many in interviews. But obviously those two at the top of their game. Anyway, it's just fantastic. And those are moments that we all remember from, from the Japanese Grand Prix of the past. Now this one... I've got to say the analogy of David versus Goliath does come to mind, but it's as though Goliath, I don't know, he grew overnight and came back and just stood on the top of the mountain and everybody else were little Davids that had to go and play amongst themselves. They had no chance of doing anything against Max. He he came into the weekend with absolute sublime confidence in what he was going to do to prove as if he needed to, that the results of Singapore, which was still fifth place, 
um, from the back, but it was that we, it was an anomaly and that it should not uh, even count. And he showed up from the minute they went out. Remember, I said it last week, uh, or I, I commented on it. He was, he made the statement, I lost today. My delta to the front was 21 seconds. I'm going to win in Japan by 21 seconds. He didn't. That was the only thing he didn't live up to. He was like 1.2 seconds off that. I actually thought he was going to sneak it in at the end and get dead on 21 seconds. But uh, he he really did. He was outrageous. And the way they lined up on the grid, I mean, he had the largest margin of pole ever at this track by, in Formula One by over one second. So, I mean, just think about that. What a dominant statement. So. From the start, I don't know what you thought, but I was ready. The lights went out. Just seeing it the way they, you know, they were lined up. He had Oscar Piastri with that amazing uh, front row position. Lando Norris also just behind there. And the start was so impressive by nearly everyone. Everyone at the front, not not maybe mid-pack. It got a bit of uh, some shenanigans back there. But when the start went, both McLarens actually had better starts than Max. And Oscar, quite rightly, on the inside, going down into turn one, the acceleration of a Formula One car, their power off the line, means that by the time they reach there, they're well over 100, 120 miles, 140 miles an hour. And you could just see the way Lando was audacious in the way he tried to go around the outside. But more spectacular to me was in the middle of it, it was like a scene from John Wick. Right in the middle of it, you had... Max Verstappen looking to the right, dealing with Oscar, looking to the left, dealing with Lando, and they're just going. And it was very John Wickish. And uh, anyone, I think Keanu Reeves would be proud to know that I use that analogy because dealing with a double attack like that and holding position is formidable. What a display. He, they also knew, Lando knew, that the only chance they had to, to thwart some of Max's um, strive to the front was going to be to get it in front, going into one and two. And then he made a wry smile. He went, I thought, of, you know, I was going to try as best I could. He said, but Max is Max and you don't kind of do that to him. So anyway, what, what, a, what a start. And it really set the scene. Uh, obviously, mid-pack, there was a little bit of chaos, uh, which we can get into. But definitely in this race, there were champs and there were chumps. And on the bright side, of course, we have the Max thing. But McLaren were on form. They've, they're proving that that, Upgrades they bought a couple of races ago are rolling into a consistent run at the front. And you cannot underestimate the amount of work that has gone in, the precision and the execution of that new management team, the new technical team that they've put in place, uh, you know, under Zach Brown has, at first I thought it might be a little bit disjointed. How do you have all these chiefs in the kitchen, chefs in the kitchen, but they really have pulled it together. And Lando has, he's a cocky, arrogant little git, I think. And you can tell it. He was one of those kids growing up that had that sort of confident stride in his step. And you probably looked at him when he was an early teenager and went, why are you so bold? But um, he has that inner confidence and you could just hear it in his interviews. And now I think that's just going to get, it's going to serve him even better. He was, he was feisty. He was fast. He was formidable. And he looks so confident all weekend. And that is something, mark my words, that inner confidence, that self-belief, we talked about it during the season, elevates a driver when he knows 
to be in Formula One, you've got to know what you're doing and you've got to be confident. But he knows that he deserves to be at the front. And he used that word, we deserve to be at the front. And that's a great window into his mind. And I think he is very happy to be as close as they were to Max. I mean, it's within striking distance, right? So uh, they, if he has a problem, they'll be the ones to pounce. And for Oscar Piastri, his first Formula One podium, the sixth Australian ever to stand on the podium in Formula One, it comes on the back of a week where his contract, which was, I'm not saying it's shocking, I just think it's a, a vote of confidence, has been extended through to 2026. I'll tell you as a driver that never had contracts like that, it must give you the most resounding confidence, not just in your team, but the fact that they have confidence in you. And it means you can really settle in for the long term and see how, you know, make your place in the team. I think the thing for me that really makes Oscar stand out this weekend is his almost dissatisfaction with his podium result. I think he was very happy to be third place, but he knows and he said it in his post-race interview, I can do better. I know there are moments in the Formula One race that I need to push harder. I need to know how to maximize the performance on the tires and the chassis at any given stage of the race, and I can work on that and be better. Can you imagine how good that kid is going to be when he gets finds his stride? And the pairing of him and Lando Norris, two both very ar arrogant in the positive way, arrogant kids, with immense talent. I think we'll see some fireworks down the road when they when they no longer are worrying about getting the team to the right spot. It's going to be about them racing each other to win races. Then we're going to see some, some sparks fly. But boy, I think they're brilliant. I was also thinking this morning, as I was, uh, as I was getting ready for this, Mercedes are the sleepers in all this. I think the way... They have impressively snuck up on us every race. They've been right there, haven't they? I mean, the only Lewis Hamilton is the only other driver outside Max Verstappen to have scored points in every race this year. And he's P3 in the Drivers' Championship, which is not something I would have thought about earlier. In, and he's just literally is 33 points behind Perez, which is now their new target to get up and, and catch. So, I mean, can you imagine Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton finished second in the champion, driver's championship? I think it's, uh, I think that is, to me, one of the most impressive things. And the other side of Lewis is his, he is so integral to the car's development. He gives this technical and visceral feedback to them that helps gather everybody around him. And when you hear him compliment his team, he was the guy that really set that off saying, thank you back to the guys at the, at, in Woking. Thank you to, to all the engineers, all the people that aren't here at the track as the track team. He always thanked them in defeat and wins. And I think that's his mark of a champion. But he is, he's saying that he's super part. He's told them what he wants in the car for next year. He know they made a, a direction uh, shift at the beginning of the year to help get this car on track. And uh, I mean, you watch, they get, they're on their way back, aren't they? Anyway, Lewis, fantastic. On the not so successful time. What the heck was going on with Sergio Perez? And I'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast was probably thinking the same thing. I mean, 
I think he'd be a mate if I knew him. I think he's a really nice guy and so talented in every way. And of course, finishing, you know, recently finishing second behind Max Verstappen, that is his only job. He, and I said it before, he has to accept that beating Max is maybe not on the cards unless Max has a problem. His job is to finish second. And this weekend, it was abysmal. He had a poor start. He had a clash with Hamilton. It affected, you know, the handling of his car. It was a cascade downwards that literally he couldn't recover from. And then when he had that absolutely abysmal, sloppy attempt at an overtake on Magnussen into that left-hand corner, and you could just hear Jolan Palmer, who was on F1 uh, Live doing the commentary, he was like, I, I don't get what he just did. And I'm, I, I wish I'd been on air doing the same thing. I, I think I'd have probably been banned from the pit lane, certainly Red Bull hospitality, because you're going, what? There's no way you can, you can pull that move. And... I think that that sort of way he's approaching it, he's just he's just out of pocket right now. And I think there is a factor they commented on, which we shouldn't uh, you know minimize, and that is the Red Bull factor. When you see a Red Bull coming up behind you, you kind of half get out of the way. And they do that for Max. They do not do that for Sergio. And I think he got caught out by that. Uh, then, of course, with that confusing unprecedented moment. And for those of you that are relatively new to Formula One and just think it's the most uh, well-oiled entertainment form you've ever seen in sport, sometimes, as you can see, it's not. And even for me, who's been around it my whole life, that when he had the, he was boxed, they put him into the garage, which then means you're out during a race, obviously. And he was listed as, as out. And then they had the five-second penalty hanging over his head. And what was it? 40-odd laps, 38 laps later, they bought him out just to serve the penalty so he didn't have it carrying on to the next, next race in Qatar. And I don't think you should be allowed to do that, personally. I think that, that kind of makes a bit of a mockery of it. And it opens up for the drivers that have been out there the whole way through the race. It, it's adding in a factor that is unpredictable, nothing to lose, could get in your way. What if it had a red flag? It would have changed, you know, what if it broken down on track? It would have changed the entire outcome of the race for some of those other drivers. And so, you know, if you're in sports cars, once you go in the garage at Le Mans, and if you bring the front of the garage down, you are out. And I have a, even though they didn't bring the garage down, I think after a certain amount of time and you're classified as out, you shouldn't be allowed back in. But that's just my thought. If you've got other thoughts, let me know on social media. But the one thing, finishing out the Perez thing, is you know if he's going to be more competitive, if he's in that seat next year, you know he he needs to up his game because next year there will be a lot more competition from everybody else. Now, someone else that had a a, a weekend they're not going to be putting in the family Christmas album uh, is from Williams and a double retirement. It was. I mean, Alex Albon's race effectively was over within seconds of the start. And he was, he was the one in this knock-on effect that was hit by Valtteri Bottas. And he was himself squeezed. And then he had a retirement. I mean, just so Albon's out. And then Logan Sargent, after his appalling weekend, I'll get to that in a minute, uh, he started from the pit lane after his qualifying crash. And then he had to retire because he had, there was a misfunction um, you know, he had damage and uh, after he's hit with Botas at the hairpin, which again was a dismal move. And so Logan ends up 
back in a familiar spot, back in the garage too early. But talking about our guest this week and our hero, um, with Alfa Romeo, both cars not touting Q1 of qualifying and damage early on. Botas was sandwiched by Alban and Esteban Ocon. So he gets damaged and then he suffered, you know, further, further, I mean, just nonsensical damage when Logan Sargent hit him. And that ended his afternoon early. And uh, Genju was caught up in that opening lap and ended up, what was it, 13th. So just a, just a horrid, horrid, horrid weekend for them. Uh, but they weren't alone, were they? Uh, Aston Martin, uh, he had a wing failure. And I got to say, this is something, if you, uh, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a teammate in an identical car. When you have a, a mechanical issue, like something that is so physical, it's obviously a, a, a part that's not working properly. And they had a problem, mechanical problem with the rear wing and they had to retire the car that, that re- they have to give the other teammate that information. Thankfully that's other teammate it happens to be Fernando Alonso and they have to deal with it and put it in the back of their mind that, you know, it could happen to their car because they haven't had a chance to track down the issue yet. But, uh, I mean, Fernando, he was still in the points, guys. I mean, he made it to 10th, but uh, they've had worse weekends. They've had better. But it does make you wonder about, or makes me wonder, what is the morale like in the team when they had that unexpected, ahead of all anticipations, first third of the year, and now they're struggling to hold on to their position in the in the drivers and manufacturers championships and uh, i mean in the end not uh not ideal but i think it's cuz the others have got faster personally rather than them doing worse and i'm going to i'm going to end this little recap by saying in the midground is ferrari uh, i mean obviously coming off that incredible high of singapore carlos sainz actually was bettered this weekend by charles leclerc charles had a better run all the way through um, it wasn't what they expected. They really weren't on the radar at any point through the race. They just did their thing. But they ended up fourth and sixth. So that was that was a pretty good result uh, from them. So recapping the results at the end, win number 13 for this year was Max by his 19 seconds, then Lando Norris, then Oscar Piastro. Charles Leclerc was fourth for the third race in a row, then Hamilton and Sainz. But the celebration, and it's an interesting moment to celebrate a championship win when you still have the drivers' championship to win. The but the manufacturers' championship being wrapped up by Red Bull, uh, the constructors' championship. Everybody must be so elated. I hope you tune into the Red Bull social media and Formula One because those guys know how to party. They bring it. I can only imagine Sunday nights in Suzuka. There's some pretty legendary spots that you end up drinking in. And as you could see by Christian Horner, they ended up in a, like a little karaoke bar. Uh, as Christian Horner said, this is the biggest team sport in the world. I thought it was a great way to put it. And it showed they are the best team. Uh, it, and as he said, it felt better than any other of their cha- constructors championship because they're operating so well in unison, really. And everybody involved has, has really worked hard to make this whole thing better. Uh, he said he played, this was fun, right? He said he played paddleboard with Max on the Wednesday and Max, I can just imagine, they were crushing. I think he played with Max against another couple of guys and he they crushed them in that. And he said Max seemed pretty determined not to let any any any, any weakness show this uh, weekend. So 
Uh, now the task, of course, is closing out the drivers' championship, which um, they can do literally by finishing sixth, I think, uh, or better in the sprint race at the next event. So by the time they get to Vegas, it'll all be wrapped up in that way. But of course, the uh, the rest of the racing, the rest of those driver and manufacturer championships will be hot, hot, hot by the time they get here on November 18th for the Heineken Grand Prix of Las Vegas. And I've got to tell you, driving in here last night in the Uber, I always try and do a little bit of the track as we're driving in. And I saw all this rigging all the way down the strip. And I was like, huh, that's new. But they're putting up all the lighting for the nights. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these massive lights about to illuminate the, the strip. And uh, it just shows to me that this infrastructure is getting closer and closer to, to the moment when we're going to hear the roar of Formula One cars out there. And remember that here at The Win, we are ready for you. This is really the epicenter of everything going on at the Formula One. Formula One cars everywhere. You've already seen our photographs of the cars next door in our studio showroom with Ferraris from well, Schumacher to Irvine. Through to, we have a we have one Alfa Romeo and a Rebel. It looks pretty cool next door. And all the fans as they walk past our studio here uh, stopping taking pictures. So the win are doing it right. And don't forget, go to winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1. So many packages, so many ways to get here. And while it might seem expensive at first glance, if you break down what it costs per night to be here and two grandstand tickets, you can actually get your place in the win to enjoy the first, the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. So don't forget to check it out. So our guest, Valtteri Botas, for me, one of those guys, one of those Finnish guys that really had the capability to be a world champion and was certainly set to do so. I'm not saying his career's not going to see that, but he is a man who's won 10 Formula One Grand Prix. He's had 57 podiums. He's raced for both Mercedes and Williams. And of course, now he's at Alfa Romeo. I get to talk to him a little bit about why the Finns are so good at what they do. And that's some fun insight. Uh, but he's a guy that loves driving fast cars. And it's just a pure, rather like a Kimi Raikkonen. It's just in his DNA. He's gone on to great success off-road in all forms of rallying, which is something that the, the Finnish guys seem totally suited for. Remember, hugely experienced, a quirky sense of humor. And as you can see from their social media, when he wear he is this sporting a fine mullet. And when he went to Australia, it seemed that that was his natural environment. He's a fun guy. And he joined me on the Friday before the Japanese Grand Prix from the track and in this wonderful interview. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining Drive to Win. Um, I've been following you obviously on social media since Singapore. It looks like you enjoy Japan. Very much so. Every every year, I really enjoy it. It's uh, it's a race and encounter. I really, really um, always look forward to coming because of the track for sure, but also the, the culture and uh, everything Japan has to offer. Yeah, it is one of those places. I raced there for a couple of years, and I, I was excited when I saw you going to the temples and things. Is that something you've done more as you've got more mature, spend more time enjoying the local local environment? Yeah, you know, it's it's quite easy in the in the F1 world to just go to the races, be at the hotel, go to the track. But then 
uh, definitely, I think as the career, career goes on, you figure out that it's actually worth seeing stuff. You know, if you have a couple of days off, it's, it's nice to make most out of it and uh, see new places because because you can. You know, it's not like um, yeah, everyone can do it. So it's uh, it's pretty cool that with this board as well. You know, during the time that you're getting used to the jet lag, etc., that you can actually really really explore. Yeah, I I saw someone told me. You love your cycling so much. Do you actually cycle to the races, or do you do you travel with a bike and and do it when you get there? Uh, yeah, I use the uh, my bike as a like a way of commuting quite a, quite a bit from hotels. You can beat the traffic pretty easily, uh, yeah. etc. So it's uh, and yeah, I, I travel quite a lot with my bike, so that also allows me to see much further than you would normally do. Yeah, well. If you don't mind, a quick reflection, obviously, coming into the second half of the season, I know that break, everybody really regroups, look like you, you spent a lot of, of good family time, but how has, how do you feel the second half has unfolded? Obviously, Singapore was not perfect, but your optimism must be still pretty strong. In in this sport, you need to stay optimistic always, you know, you need to always look look forward to things and and believe that uh, you can make progress. Obviously, it's been a challenging season, for sure. And also the second half, we haven't scored as many points as we have targeted. But um, on a positive note, you know, the upgrades we brought to Singapore, we see they're working as expected and they should actually provide us a bit more on a track like this in Japan and, and you know, the more like high-speed stuff. So that's positive. So I think, in the next couple of races, we will really see that uh, where we're going to be, and um, yeah, hopefully in a, in a bit better place. And and then there's always next year. Obviously, we've been focusing on next year's car as well, um, so that's always exciting. You know, something that I think happens, especially here in America, Drive to Survive created this uh, you know pop culture around it, but people that know it know so much work goes on every day, every minute in between races. How much work is the team able to do when you're on the road, like on this Eastern swing? Yeah, you know, there's obviously hundreds of people at the factory working every day, you know, finding improvements. The wind tower is running. Uh, they're doing CFD analysis. Um, you know, they're working on the, on the suspension, on the, on the damping. It's constantly evolving. You know, it, this board really never stops. But meanwhile, the team travels um, overseas, and obviously the engineers are still still working. They always have millions of data points from each each race that they they analyze during between the races, and um, and yeah, same for drivers. You know, when we are not on the road, when we get back home, quite often we then go back to the simulator and try to do the correlation for for the previous race, and then again prepare for the next race. So it is really really nonstop. Yeah, it's. I w- one of the things I think that is great about Formula One now compared to when, when you started even was, you know, we're so much more exposed to the communication between you and the team. And I imagine with all your experience, you give a lot of feedback back to your own, you know, to your strategists and your, your crew chief. Um, how much does the strategy evolve during the race? How are you able to, how quickly can you respond and get that information? You know, red flag, you know, VSCs and, and things like that. It's, it's really quick communication nowadays. And also, you know, the, 
Overall one FIA, they have systems that if there's yellow flags and stuff, you also get some warning lights on your on the dash. So stuff like that has evolved quite a bit. Um, so it's, it's pretty instant. And also the radio communication between the team, it is it is really quick. When things happen, you are very soon aware. Um, of course, the team kind of needs sometimes filter out certain things, like what do they communicate to me? Because I only need the... Uh, you know, the information that really matters to my race, yeah. affects my race. Because uh, there's always lots of stuff going on behind the scenes that uh, I don't hear from the team also. So, uh, yeah, the communication nowadays is, uh, is impressive during the session, but also in between the session, like in terms of uh, how things are analyzed, how, how we give the feedback and how the team responds. Mm. Hey, on average, I mean, just a question for me, uh, you know, debriefs, increase in their lengths depending on the amount of data you have so much data um how, on average how much is a how long is a debrief on a on a friday night after the last session yeah so we have um pre-meeting before each session and debrief after each session but uh friday night uh it can go normally up to one hour that's pretty yeah. pretty standard when you all drivers we give the feedback and then from every kind of department or area of the car everyone gives the, the feedback how the session went and then after that meeting then we again sit down to discuss about the, the setup changes once the team has done a bit more analysis on things so yeah Friday is normally the, the, the longest day of the weekend yeah a question about last week under the lights because the lights are so bright at Singapore and I think I'm thinking about it more watching you on Sunday on Saturday, Sunday because of the Vegas race, and it's going to be the same here. Are there blind spots with the lights against the wall? Is there other areas that it distorts your, your view? Not many. I mean, the lights are pretty bright. I would say the biggest um, effect is the, the reflections. There's quite a few reflections that comes to your visor, so that's slightly more distracting than you know, normal daylight. But uh, as, as long as you have the right visor choice because we also have like multiple choices in terms of the, the color and, and the dimness so then you're fine but uh, they're pretty good so i would imagine that lights are going to be pretty bright in vegas too yeah well not just those lights the exactly. lights <laughs> i, I don't know if you saw it you should check it out on instagram you know we have the sphere now in in las vegas which is this twenty-five thousand person stadium with all six million lights on the outside and you're going to go around the edge of it and it hasn't even opened yet you two are opening it but it is going to be wild you know for as an as a distraction crazy yeah uh everything i've seen and heard it's going to be amazing and uh i'm pretty sure they're still very busy with the building works and stuff but uh it's um yeah i I really look forward to it it's going to be pretty pretty special to be racing over there yeah, uh, let's just say you'll be going around the the streets faster than everyone is right now with the with the repaving. But um, have you driven it on the sim yet? Not yet. I think that's going to be the next session that I'll be at the factory. So yeah, really, really look forward to it. Of course, I've seen the track layout, which actually looks like a good track for racing. So let's hope it's going to be a track that really will produce good good racing and lots of action. Yeah. Do you drive sims at home? No. Not really. I used to when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. now the it's it's just not the same, you know. After driving so much with the with the real thing, but um, but the simulator work 
with the team is is, uh, is so crucial nowadays in terms of preparing, uh, especially for new, new events like like Vegas. Yeah, I was, and of course, I'm not. I've I was too old to really do the sim stuff much, but you know, I get on it now, and you get beaten by my 16 year old daughter. You know, that's, that's the most humbling part. But and I know some of the younger drivers really enjoy it, but just proportionately, how much better are your you know, Formula One factory sims than the one that, like, you see Lando play at home or something. Just how much better? You you can't really compare, you know, because really? with, the, with F1 team simulators, you know, it's it's technology from years and years ago, uh, which has been evolving in terms of hardware. It's way bigger, you know, you have much bigger screen. Uh, most teams, they have, like, 180-degree screen room, but some teams have 360-degree. And also the motion, it has really, really improved a lot. And, you know, you're sitting in the real cockpit with the real steering wheel, same functions. And mm. then also software-wise, like the tire model, um, the, the car itself, how it behaves mechanically and air-wise, it's so identical that it's, it's really hard to compare. I mean, that's really hard for, you know, I'm like you, I've driven all my life. I. I, and I've never been on one of those sims. It's so hard for me to relate to, you know, because you do another sim, it just doesn't feel connected. But thank you, yeah. for, thank you for sharing that. Um, so this weekend, I know you love big fast tracks, and this is a big fast track. Uh, how what do you, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, it, it is my favorite track. Oh. Yeah, be looking forward to this one. It's just has such a nice flow, you know, many high street corners, um, quite a bit of elevation as well. So it's. Uh, yeah, look forward to it. And like I mentioned earlier, I think the upgrades we brought to Singapore should hopefully work a bit better because it's it was actually mainly aimed to provide high-speed downforce. So, yeah. um, and that's what you need here, definitely. So, uh, yeah, look forward to it. And it should be dry, like last year. And it should be dry. I know, I like it. And do you think we're going to see such a tire management game for the first 60% like we did at Singapore? It's not the same as Singapore. I think uh, okay. Singapore is quite unique on that because of the uh, traction zone. You know, it's really, uh, really uh, limited by traction. And then when it's not managed, then it's just becomes a bit of a train. You know, so yeah. it's a different game here. Definitely, you can definitely push it as well. Yeah. Well, before you, before I let you go, I know you have got a busy day ahead. Um, I just got a couple of fun questions that our fans ask, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna sure. do them quickly if you don't mind. Um, you have both a gin and a coffee company with your partner. Uh, you are an expert in both. So what time should you stop drinking one and start drinking the other? As a <laughs> Yeah, good, good question. For me, that's around 4 p.m. So after four, no more coffee, because I feel like this beep will disturb my sleep. But then on the other, other hand, this other product might help it. So that's a good, good turning point. I think you have the market captured perfectly. I love it. Uh, <laughs> the Finnish, Finnish people, you live life to the full. JJ, Mika, you, I mean, just incredible love of life, but also an extraordinary talent behind the wheel. I know you've been asked this a million times. Why, why do Finns have such good car control? I think we it comes from a long, long time ago. It's been part of the culture. Like any form of motorsport always in Finland has to be popular, whether it's you know go-karting, track racing, uh, whether it's motocross, um, ski-doo, you name it. It's, it's always been part of the 
culture. And of course, we have long winters, so it means people are used to even, you know, since quite young to drive in, in icy and uh, slippery conditions. So I think that then you kind of learn the basic skills. But for me, the, the main thing was how competitive the, the national go-car championship was. I think that was the thing that if you wanted to be top of your game in Finland, um, you really need to work hard. And once you went to the rest of the Europe, you stayed on top. So the level was, was extremely good. Yeah, that's great. What a great answer. Now, there's a really serious question. I have a lot of hair, so my head always got hot under the helmet. You you with the mullet, is that? have you noticed an increased pressure point? And does it get hot at the back? It does get a little bit warm, yes. Um, but it works also as a kind of an aero device, I feel. So uh, it's a bit of a trade. It gives somewhere for the sweat to build up some speed. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, when I was racing, I said, when I was doing Voxel Lotus with Mika Hacken, and he rode his unicycle everywhere in the paddock. Can you ride a unicycle like your hero? Uh, at the moment, no, I can't. I never really practiced. Uh, it's actually another good skill to try and add to my toolbox, let's say. So maybe I'll, I'll learn, learn for next time. Maybe not mid-season. And yeah. finally... Uh, Obviously, you have a lot of talents, but what is a talent that people don't really know about that you have? I think um, I can make extremely good omelets. So at home, I'm the breakfast man every morning. And yeah, I can make beautiful omelets. It's random. You know what? That is a skill that most French chefs can't have. So well done. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, buddy, I really appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Um, I'm going to be in Austin. I'll come and say hi. So, so thank you Perfect. so much for thank taking you. the time. And everybody on Drive to Win will be looking out for you this weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, that, of course, was our Mobile One pit stop for the love of driving and a great insight into the mind of a top Formula One driver, especially when his name is Valtteri Botes. i got to say, guys, I was actually kind of nervous and sitting in my hotel room in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was working with Jeremiah, our producer. We had everything set up and the Alpha Romeo PR lady was on working with us to get it set up and the audio was perfect. Everything was perfect. And then she said, we'll be back with Valtteri. And he came on and, he, and we couldn't, he couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear him. And I'm going, I suddenly get sweat on my brow. And then it all got resolved. Uh, Jeremiah sorted it out and we had that, what I think is a really fun interview. Just remember the pressures on those guys the obligations from a marketing and, and media way. And then to have that 15 minutes of his time was, was a true honor. And thank you to everyone at Alfa Romeo for making that happen. Uh, so it was a, a great weekend in Japan. The drivers now have a weekend off before they make their way to the next race in Qatar. It gives you food for thought. There are drivers that will be focusing on their fitness and on a high coming off the last couple of races. They're going to be working with the team on all positive stuff. But on the flip side, just, I mean, I'm not going to say spare a thought for, but as a, as a former driver, and I'm sure all of you have been in this in your career, there are moments when, you know, someone has their foot on your neck and they keep pushing down and then the pressure's building up. And for Logan Sargent in this break, he, he must be wondering what on earth he's got, got to do. Uh, I think he, he is also in his own performance spiral. He just can't get it right. And he has to get it right. I am 
I'm a big fan. He's our only American driver. And uh, like Lee Diffie said to me the other day on the show, he is a great, talented kid. He's not going to get a second chance to show his way in Formula One. And before we see him appearing at Le Mans and all these, and IMSA and all IndyCar and all the other options he has, I, I, he, he won't be given another chance unless he pulls something out of the hat in these last few races. And with the budget cap, the amount of damage he's done to his Williams will severely affect the car development that they're able to do for this last part of the year. So, you know, when you come in, you could see his mechanics head in hands after his crashes. It was, I, I, I wouldn't want to be in his mind right now. And the same with Sergio Perez. Let's just say he's got to, he's got to get himself together because the team can only uh, prop him up for so long, especially when you hear things like Alpha Tori have confirmed Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda all the way through the end of 24. Great for them. But the brilliance of Liam Lawson, who has just made his presence felt in these acting as a sort of super sub while uh, Daniel got his wrist back in, in action after, he, after fracturing it. He has done so well. He deserves a place in Formula One. He will continue his second drive, you know, reserve driver role, which is obviously sim driving, being at the track. And we've seen how if someone gets hurt, he's the guy to jump in. But I, I'm sure they hold, they hold his contract. But I imagine that people like, like Red Bull will look around at young guys like him who are hungry, ready to go and ready to, to make their mark even further in Formula One. October is a crazy month for so many reasons, but it is only a few weeks now until not just the Las Vegas Grand Prix, the Heineken Silver Grand Prix, but it is also the Las Vegas Concours. And this Concours d'Elegance is shaping up to totally revise, to to redefine uh, the spirit of the Concours world. And it's all happening out here on the golf course at the Wynn in Las Vegas. Go to lasvegasconcours.com and you can find out all about it. I'm one of the hosts along with April Rose. She is an amazing talent and very knowledgeable about cars and a great person to, for me to do that with. Bring your family so you can say you are here because there's going to be some of the best cars we have. One of the best private Ferrari collections. We have cars from every era, as well as for the kids that just want to think about the future. Some of the world's top new EVs and hypercars. So much happening out here. I'll be bringing you more on that. And we are gonna we're gonna be there in person. We drive to win, and not just me hosting it, but we're gonna be out there getting some really good content. So uh, don't forget to check that out at lasvegasconcord.com. Well, that's it. It was a, a great week. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Val Terry. I certainly did. Get involved on our social media, please. We're trying to, to grow the show. Thank you for all your help in doing so. We're, we're really breaking some records with this fledgling podcast about Formula One, but obviously it helps if you uh, click follow and, and also share it out to your friends. So thank you for those of you that do that. Thanks to the win in Las Vegas and of course, Mobile One for their support. Stay in touch and I will see you next week. Hey, race fans. If you're anything like me, driving probably means quite a lot to you. And not just racing, all driving. Nowadays, I'm sure you feel like I do sometimes. Just too distracted with texts, emails, work calls, and social media to get out there and simply enjoy the open road. Now, I've always had a love for driving, and that is what Mobile One is all about. A reminder that even when life starts to feel too full of screens and routines, the ultimate escape is waiting patiently in your driveway. Mobile One, for the love of driving.